Hey, maniacs. Hey, mystery maniacs. Welcome to the first Poirot. <laughs> it's a remix, but we've got some goodies for you. Don't go anywhere. Yeah, so this is the start of season one of Poirot. Uh, we did season one, episodes one, six, and seven, so those will be remixed. But this time we're going to do all of the episodes in between as well. Yes. So next week we'll be having episode two of Poirot. Yes. And that'll be a brand new, never heard before episode. That's right. But this week it's a remix of the Clapham Cook with Danny Webb, a.k.a. Tits in a Tree. Yep. And she would have wanted her things. Yes. You know. <laughs> All sorts of good stuff. But we're burying the lead here. Oh my gosh, we got something good for you. Yeah, we, we teased this, but you had no idea that we were going to interview this person. No, this is, this is a big deal, people. We have, for your listening pleasure, an interview with the one, the only, Hercule Poirot. Oh, Monsieur Poirot, we are so excited to have you. You are the most amazing detective ever. You have the best brain in all of fiction. You're better than Sherlock Holmes. Do not be stinting with your praise. Um, I, I don't think we were. Anyway, it's amazing to have the most famous French detective on the show. No, 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 no. I am not some French gent. I am some Belgian gent. Of course you are. We were just joking. Calm down. <laughs> it may occur to you that I am eccentric, Perhaps mad. Ah, you may say, the little Belgian detective is taking leave of his rocker, huh? Not at all. Sorry. We were just joking. Let's change the subject. It's amazing that you're here in Bloomington. I know we're a bit rural compared to London, but I'm sure you prefer the big city. This sort of air is intended for birds and little furry things. The lungs of Hercule Poirot demand something more substantial. The good air of the town. I prefer the city, too. So, since you're visiting America, did you check out the Super Bowl last weekend? What did you think about American football? I know not of any other game where even the players are unsure of the rules. I agree. I, it's all a bit complicated for me, too. What game do you like? The name of Poirot is feared on golf courses all over the continent. I prefer ice hockey. Prefer you're obsessed with hockey. It occupies too many of your little gray cells. <laughs> I think Hercule likes me more than he likes you. You are a girl of remarkable intelligence that can be seen at once. Oh, thank you. That means a lot coming from you. Um, can I touch your mustache? No, 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 no. 36 times, no. Sorry, if it makes you feel better, you can touch Mark's mustache. I am sorry, madame, but I do not touch that particular kind of business. <laughs> well, okay. May I give you some advice, madame? Sure, okay. Your husband loves you. I know it. Oh, that's so nice of you to say. People who listen to the show often comment about how great we are as a couple. We have fun together. As long as our dog Olive isn't being horrible and getting in the way. No, 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 no. Between the husband and the wife, they should be not the sleepy dogs. If only she was sleeping. She's so bad that nothing we do seems to work. Got any advice of what we should say to her? No! No, 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 no! 36 times! No! Is that your answer for everything? Duffy nosed monkey suit. Okay. Now you're just being strange. Are you okay? 
he just left. He didn't even say goodbye. Still, we interviewed Poirot. How cool is that? Think he'd come back if we invited him again? No! No, 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 no! 36 times! No! I guess not. Well, that was an interview with Poirot. It was, um, different than I expected it to be, but it was still fun. It was. (laughs) We hope you liked it. So here is episode one of season one of Poirot for you to enjoy. The Adventure of the Clapham Cook. Hey, Maniacs. Welcome to (gasps) Mystery Mystery Maniacs. Maniacs. Hey, we did it. Mystery Maniacs is a recap comedy podcast dedicated to British mystery TV. Each week we dig into an episode of a show, including the murders, the mayhem, the loonies, and everything else we love. This week we're covering Agatha Christie's Poirot, Season 1, Episode 1, The Adventure of the Clapham Cook. A good cook is a good cook. Indeed. (laughs) I'm Mark. I'm Sarah. We're the Mystery Maniacs. Okay, a couple of things to begin. First of all, if you're Midsummer Maniacs and you're joining us here, thank you for continuing. Yay! And if you're new people, thank you for finding us. Hey! You should know, though, if you're new, that we did... I don't know, 10 million episodes of Midsummer Murders prior to this. 132 episodes it, of Midsummer Murders. It felt like 10 million. We, and then we suddenly ran out. So we have to be global experts on Midsummer Murders. We do. Though. We like, have to be. Like if there was a. Um, in, in Mastermind. Mastermind. I would, I would choose Midsummer. Midsummer. Yeah. I think you'd win. I think I might. Yeah. Certainly. Anyhow. This is a spoiler podcast. We're going to ruin everything. From this show from a million years ago. (laughs) I had no idea that this show was first shown on the 8th of January, 1989. It's because it's timeless. Because it's set in the 30s. So there's nothing to give it away and date it. And David Suchet really didn't age. No. What were you doing in 1989 in January? Um, I would have been in eighth grade. I was in my freshman year of college. <laughs> See, I started high school in the fall of 1989. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, in the in January, I would have been in eighth grade. Uh, and now you know that I'm older than Sarah. And now you know that I'm ancient and you're ancient plus. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> the the bottom line is, though, if you're new, you may hear some uh, references to Midsummer because, like, a lot of these people have been in Midsummer. It's, yep. it's a game that we play when we watch anything that isn't. We go oh, Midsummer, yeah, Midsummer. How long when you were see somebody we in on Sandman last night? Before oh, like I said, thirty seconds. We're like Midsummer, Midsummer, so. and you'll hear funny references like. I said it out. I, I have to admit, when I went to see Batman with my friend Joshua, I said it out loud. In the theater? <laughs> In the theater. Oh my gosh, you're the worst. I'm such a nerd. <laughs> but you're going to hear stuff like, for example, when we talk about the actor Danny Webb, who plays the luggage porter in The Clapham Cook. So good. Um, he was in a couple of Midsummers, and in one of them, he's an airline safety accident inspector and talks about tits in a tree. And yes. so we just now call Danny Webb tits in a tree. Yep. 
Danny Webb is tits in the tree. So if you don't get the references, go watch Midsummer. Hello. Why haven't you watched it already? Just as a, a warning, we also use the show as a guide to what we talk about and the level we talk about it. We're not good. We're not sweary McSwearersons or no, anything no. like that. We're not using crude language. But if the show talks about crude stuff, we're going to talk about it too. If your kids can handle white slavers, white then they slavers. can handle mystery maniacs. <laughs> but we will spoil it. So we will will talk about, you know, who the killer is and give it all away. So if you haven't seen The Adventure of the Clapham Cook, first, where have you been since 1989? And second, pause, go watch it, come back. If you've watched Poirot and haven't watched Midsummer, go watch Midsummer too. There's 132 (laughs) episodes. It's all good stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is Agatha Christie's Poirot, but we're just going to call it Poirot from now on instead of blah, 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 blah. Yes. And before we go too far, just a little disclaimer, there are people in the world who are Agatha Christie experts. Yep. They know a lot. Now, I've been reading and watching Agatha Christie my whole life. My whole life. I love everything that she wrote and I love almost every screen adaptation. I won't say that I've liked them all, but most of them. Yep. But there are people out there who know more than us. And so if there's something that we don't mention that you think we should, and you're one of those experts, drop us a line. Tell us. We'll do a quick interview. Yep. We'll include you in the show. It's all cool. I have great respect for people who are experts. Yep. In August, we're covering three... Poirot episodes. We're covering... Just from season one. From, uh, Clapham Cook from season one, Triangle at Rhodes, and Problem at Sea. Yes. So we're just going to dip into... strange doll. <laughs> yes. We're just going to dip into season one Yep. here, and, and we'll come back to Poirot at a later date. And yes, dip absolutely. In, dip into season two. Yes. So... This is 1989 to 2013. How many episodes do you think there are of Poirot? 40. There are 70 Poirots. Yeah. Absolutely. It was broadcast on the 8th of January, 1989, as mentioned, directed by Edward Bennett and written by Clive Exton. Clive Exton made uh, quite the movie. It's a movie called The House in Nightmare Park. That sounds awesome. Yeah, it's not what you think it is. It's a goofy, kind of spoofy movie, but the the trailer is nuts. I have a little confession to make here. I think there's something people need to understand about us. Yes. That even people who listen to Midsummer Maniacs don't know. And that both of us have trouble shutting our brains off at night. Yes. And so we often put something on the laptop and just let it play and fall asleep. And it has to be something that we have seen a lot that we're very familiar with so that it doesn't like make you want to stay awake to watch it. Yes. Um, Time Team is fantastic for this. Yeah, because we've seen every episode of Time Team. So it's enough to kind of engage your brain enough so you can drift off but not keep your attention. And um, for months at a time, we did this with Poirot, too, all 70 episodes. And every time we go back to Poirot for that purpose, we always start at the the beginning with the Clapham Cook. Yep. So subliminally i have watched this show 20 times maybe 20 times i also listened to the book recently on my trip to canada by the way i'm canadian my wife is american we live in bloomington indiana if you're new now you know but i feel like there are certain segments of this episode that i know by heart unconsciously (laughs) you say that but then when i started watching the episode i'm like wait a minute they give away the killer right at the very beginning yeah but you don't know why he's doing it no but i i hadn't realized that before we're gonna make fun of this because we love it 
Yes. So if you're if you're listening because you're a serious Agatha Christie scholarly type, you you might not like the fact that we make fun of it. Just lighten up. Just it'll be fine. Poirot's fun. We love David Suchet. He is fantastic. Now you know he got this part because the Agatha Christie estate, the family, they asked him. Asked him to. Yep. You know, like they thought he is the one. And that opening shot. So the the episode begins with with the killer putting away some stuff, right? And the case. He's tying the trunk. Yeah. And it was could, corded. We could make mistakes <laughs> that it's his things, but then they're kind of free. You don't know what he's yeah. doing, but he's yeah. clearly like, he's sweaty and he's kind of hurried and he's obviously doing something nefarious involving that trunk. We have this opening shot of Poirot from feet up mm-hmm. that's really good. Well, you, you have to know that he's the full package, right? Anybody who's ever read any Poirot stories, you know how she describes him. She always talks about his patent leather shoes. She always talks about his mustache. She always talks about the fact that his head is shaped like an egg. Yep. You know, like there are things about him that if you if you were watching this for the first time and you were an Agatha Christie fan, you're like, I'm not sure if I'm going to like this. And then you see David Suchet and you go, oh, yeah. They yep. got it. They got it right. Absolutely. You know. Uh, so. He's got spats on. His, yeah, spats. Do you know about spats? So spats are like pieces of cloth you wear over your shoes. Yeah. And the bottom of your pants. Yeah. Do you know why? To keep them clean, I would assume. Spats is short for spatterdash. Spatterdash. Mm-hmm. They're, yeah, they're to keep your shoes clean. Okay. And they're to protect the, and your socks. They're like to protect the top of your shoe and your sock from things that would fly into that gap. Like mud or water. Or right. Yeah. But they're most, and that's like the civilian version of them. Yeah. But they're most often used now by people who work in foundries. Oh, because the place where your boot laces up is the most vulnerable part of your boot. Okay. And if molten metal dripped on your foot oh. and it got on that part, it would burn through and onto your foot. That's not good. So they wear spats that are like impervious. They're like five layers of canvas with like probably asbestos in the middle or something. something. And 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 they also wore them in the military for the same reason. Because oh, okay. if like incendiaries dropped and, you know, it would get on your shoe and... It, it closes the gap between your pant leg and your shoe. So. It's not just for fancy pants. But it does make you look pretty fancy. It does. His are definitely for fancy. Super fancy. Mm-hmm. And we're introduced to Hastings, Colonel Hastings. Mm-hmm. Now, in the books, in the short stories at least, the couple that I've read, he is totally the stand-in for the reader, right? Like, yeah. He's the narrator of most of them. And, yeah. And but, is he colonel or captain? It's Captain Hastings. Mm. Oh, my gosh. We're going to get emails. <laughs> he's Captain Hastings. Captain Hastings. And he's reading through the paper, talking about all these cases. I want to know what happened to Edna Field. Newspapers of this era and earlier just blow my mind. It's like eight pike a type. Yep. There's no white space on the page. They're bigger than they are now. Like, the individual pages are bigger. And it is eight pica type top to bottom every page is jam packed but there are two ads how did anybody read the paper like Uh, with their little pierced apparently no i mean it would have taken all day it would and there were two editions usually and personal ads person to person ads were very popular Yes. For and that's all what, kinds of reasons. And they, they end that's up. That's what Miss Lemon uses. Right. They place an ad. 
But there were like whole pages that were just person to person messages. Yep. In the newspaper. Never mind all the rest. Of, I just, it blows me away how much content was in the paper back then compared to an average paper now. Yeah. You, you just, if you actually read all of it, you'd be done right when the next paper came. Yes. Pretty much. <laughs> like it, it'd be a full time job. Pretty much. Reading the newspaper. That's the thing we do, by the way. If we are referring to a picture or a video or things like that, we'll put it in the show notes so you can go to those show notes. Uh, and find those in the, every episode that we put out, we list where the show notes are also. The other thing we need to note about the newspaper is that's how we get the date. So we find out that it's November 1935. Yes. And that's important because if you if you only kind of look at the setting for clues, you, you might think it was the 20s because a lot of architecture didn't really change well, it's so in the intercession years between the two wars. Everything is so Art Deco in this except for the little cottage. Yeah. Like the bank manager's house is Art Deco. Yeah. I would say even the bridge they go over is a bit Art Deco. Yeah. Right, all the cars. And, and so everything. you could, you could. it would be understandable if you thought it was the late 20s, but yep. it's 1935. And yep. if you know anything about Poirot and Hastings at all, you know that the wars are important. Yep. The fact that these stories happen in the intercession years between World War One and the World interregulum. War II. Interregulum. Um, that's an important piece of context, I think, that we just have to keep in mind. It just kind of... So Poirot was an immigrant from the First World War when... The Germans, he was a refugee. Yeah, mm -hmm. when, when the Germans invaded Belgium. Mm -hmm. I'm and, not French. And I'm a Belgian chap. And and Captain Hastings is captain because he was in the war and that's yeah, his he's rank. Yeah, heard in the psalm, mm -hmm. right? But Poirot has bigger plans. How many different Poirot stories start with him suffering from case ennui? Yes. The little gray cells are uh, suffering. Yep. He, he, <laughs> none of these cases are interesting to him. He's more interested in his power, powder of Keating. He says he has to trim his mustache. Yep. Um, he has to clean a grease spot off of one of his suits. And these things are more interesting than the cases that Hastings reading. And he includes getting his winter coat out. Yes. And he says parlor of kittens. No. Kittings. He says. <laughs> Powder of Keating. <laughs> the subtitle it. says Parlor of Keating. Yeah, the subtitles are kind of bad on this episode. <laughs> I have in front of me an ad for Keating's power from roughly the same time, and he's brilliant. A fact Keating's powder kills every bug, flea, moth, fly, beetle, etc., providing only Keating's is brought into the proper contact with it, contains no poison or and is harmless to everything but household insects and vermin. So it's mothballs. Yeah, basically. So his coat has been stored all summer, and now yep. it's November. He needs to get it out. Yeah, he needs to get it out. And probably remove the powder of Keating's. Probably, yes. <laughs> he talks about pomade. Do you know pomade's not a brand name? I thought it was a brand name. Oh, no, it's not. No, it's, it, it's, it's a thing. It's a noun. Yes. Not a brand. But then Miss Lemon appears. Yes, she has a client, a woman. Miss Lemon, played by Pauline Moran. Oh, She's who is fabulous. Fantastic. She doesn't have her full spit curls yet. No, she'll get there. Which she has later, the little curls that are like stuck to the side of her face. Yep. I, I, did, I knew that Pauline Moran kind of left acting to go do astrology stuff. She's kind of hippy dippy. Yeah, okay. That's, that's okay. That's cool. That's okay. But like her second career was as an astrologist. Yeah. But I didn't know that that's actually her third career. 
Oh. And her first career was as a bass player she in was a, a rock band. Bass player in a rock band? She is so cool. The band is called She Trinity. She Trinity. And has four members. That makes sense. Four ladies. Not really. She Trinity. And you sent me a picture of them. She's the best looking one of the bunch. Yeah, I'll put and that in the show. And looks really no- gothy uh, it's, for the they time. All, they all look really gothy. I'll put it in the show notes. Too. Yeah. The She Trilogy. Is yeah. there a Wikipedia page? Oh, there? yes. Okay. And I'll you can a, even watch them play on YouTube. I'll put a, a link to all those things. Their the biggest hit song, He Fought the Law. He Fought the Law. They're bad girls. Yeah. And she says that Mrs. Todd is there. Mrs. Todd, who is fantastic. <laughs> I, I'm going to repeat myself, but everyone in this episode is fantastic. Yes. But she has the that straw hat with the flowers on it. And oh, she just... Comes into Poirot's house and says, I thought you were eating scenery. I'm going to eat all the scenery. Yeah. And totally guilts him. Well, and so Mrs. Todd is of a certain class of woman, right? Yep. She is an aspiring middle class woman. So her husband has a professional job. They are not wealthy. They have two servants. But they're well off. Yep. But it's earned money. It's not aristocratic money or anything. Nope. But she is clearly socially reaching. Yes. As high as she can stretch her arm. And she lives in Clapham. And she is used to telling people what they're going to do. Yes. And she comes in and she says, here's what I need you to do for me. Yep. Not... I have a case and I wondered if you could help. No, 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 no. You know, she doesn't know his reputation. This is service entrance here. Yeah. She she even accuses him of maybe paying for the mentions he gets yes. in the newspaper. Oof. And but then I think she realizes David Suchet does that, so many great winces. In oh this yes. Episode. She realizes maybe that was a misstep. Yep. And apologizes. Yes. But she doesn't say, Oh, I'm so sorry if I offended you. I didn't I didn't mean to. She goes, No offense, I'm sure. No. And then like, just you're goes not on. allowed to be offended you, by you what I have, just said. <laughs> I, I really don't care if you are or not. We're moving on to the next I want thing. you to find my cook. Yes. And he says, no, I don't do that. And she guilts him. She, she says, oh, you're too high and mighty to find my cook. Well, then she, class-wise, she slips down just a little bit. Yep. And, and goes back to who she really is. Yep. And I think he, it resonates with him because then she's being sincere. It is hard to find a good cook. She's really sad that she's lost her cook. Yeah. It's really hard to find a good cook and hers has disappeared. But no, she has no concern at all for the actual woman. No, 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 no. It's the cook that's gone, not Eliza Dunn. Yep. And- this is a, a reoccurring theme in this episode, but Poirot is surrounded by people who are not as intelligent as he is. Not even close. And he tells them that they are so intelligent. Yes, he flatters them to yes. get what he needs from them. He absolutely does. <laughs> they get in the car and go to Clapham. So we're we're on the first day, right? Yep. This is the same day. Yep. In one day, she comes, they go back to Clapham with her in a car, they talk to her and the maid. They go away for an hour. They come back and talk to her husband. And the lodger. And the lodger. And then they go away. And then they go away. And then he gets the mail the next day. All in one day. Yes. That happens. So they go to 88 Prince Albert Road, which is not in Clapham, by the way. It's not even a, a detached house. It's a row house. There isn't an 88 Prince Albert Road in Clapham. It's in London. Mm. It's right across from Regent's Park. 
Oh. There's a fence before the house. Yeah, that's a different kind of house. Yeah. This is a row house where if you were a proud housewife. They're probably five to eight million dollar flats. At least. At that. Yeah. Um, If you're a proud housewife like she is, though, you do whatever you can to distinguish your door from all the other doors. But they do face onto the common, so that would be a nice address to have. They do. A thing I'm going to hit on here is when they go, they go across the bridge. It's Albert's Bridge, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, It was made in 1873. It's a Victorian bridge. It's a beautiful piece of architecture. The background of all of this is full of people. The, the investment will, that they made in cars of the period. People in the a- right Extras clothes, who were dressed extras. correctly. Everything, yeah. And just for throwaway stuff where like Hastings is like, oh, there's the common. And we have a three second shot of people on the common all in period dress. Like a dozen people. Yeah. Just doing stuff. There are so many. This <laughs> scene in the bank scene, you're like, wow, there are a lot of people being paid to move Just around. bustle around yeah, and bustle say watermelon. <laughs> yep. We haven't talked about Hastings very much. His wardrobe. Oh, I have a soft spot for his sweater vest. Yes. It seems like every man in England at this time had a Fair Isle sweater vest. Yes. They're beautiful. All the guys in All Creatures Great and Small have them. Yeah. Hastings has the, I mean, any anything, you know, during that time, they all have these beautiful Fair Isle sweater vests. And, and I knit, so I know when, how hard when that it's is like to do. like three pieces of wool at the same time no actually the definition of fair isle is only ever two colors in a single row of knitting okay. but you change colors so often that you they're called motifs okay. right so it has lots of different motifs little um horizontal bands that are different patterns but you'll see the same colors kind of repeat here and there but you're only ever using two colors at once even did, though it might have a dozen colors in it did you notice the stained glass at the door yes yeah it's very nice it's beautiful they're they're absolutely upwardly mobile. Yes. He works in a bank. So. so let's talk to Annie. Oh, Annie's my favorite. She is fantastic. She's played by Katie Murphy. And if you like Just. Midsummer, you remember her as Helen in A Tale of Two Hamlets. Yes. But... What she does with her teeth yep. is just Oscar-worthy. <laughs> the, how they, how Hastings and Suchet didn't... Oh, my God. They must have cracked up constantly. They must have cracked up constantly. So Annie is a maid of all work, a parlor maid, which yeah. means that she is responsible for everything that isn't cooking. Yeah. She does the laundry. She cleans the house. And... She is to be uh, not seen as possible, right? So that little, the kitchen, the room where she's in is basically the basement. The fact that it has its own back door that actually leads to an outside is like, that's kind of a nice thing. And Mrs. Todd's a little like, I don't know if you should talk to her alone. She's afraid of what she's going to say about her, which is another upwardly mobile middle class thing. Yes. That... We have servants for the... She probably didn't grow up with servants, Mrs. Todd. No. And so now that she has them, there are other women in her house and they might talk bad about her. Yes. But the fact that she even cares about that means she's not really upper class because upper class women wouldn't Wouldn't have cared. But Annie is And so Annie has a theory (laughs) that with the use of stewed (laughs) peaches... I love... They say, well, what's the last thing she said to you? 
Well, she said if there was any stewed peaches left over from the dining room, we would have them for dinner with a bit of bacon and some fried potatoes. Yes. Notice I said that without looking at my notes because it's one of those lines that I just remember. Because when she says it, she kind of licks her lips a little bit and bites her lip. Yeah. Like, and that sounded really good. You know, stewed peaches. I think she's been doing the cooking too since the for a few days, dawn. which is probably a struggle for probably her. Probably a struggle. <laughs> Mrs. Todd's in the other room reading. Maybe they maybe they lured her away with the stewed peaches. Yes, white slavers. Did you notice the door was open? Yeah, <laughs> Mrs. Todd left the door open. She's standing. She's nearby. sitting in the other room and she's reading Home and Garden. Oh no no, she runs to sit down and pretend oh, to be true. reading because she's actually listening the whole time. Yeah. But this is the first time we get a little hint of Hastings is stupid. Yes. Hastings isn't always stupid. But in this episode, we we are set up for the world Poirot and told Hastings is an idiot. Well, okay. Hastings, it, it is a young lady speaking. And Hastings yeah, has a but, problem but with But not this. his type. Not his type. But, but she, she thinks that Eliza might have been taken by white slavers, right? Yes. But then she says, but she sent for her things in her trunk. Yes. And Poirot says, would white slavers have sent for her things? Like that that makes that not no. possible, and right? That, and she's like, well, she would have wanted her things. Yes. White slavers or not, she would have wanted her things. Even in foreign climbs. <laughs> Even in foreign climbs. <laughs> and then Hastings like, oh, good point. He does a lot of furrowing his brow and nodding like, that's true. Like, he believes, no, it's not true, Hastings, you H- idiot. Stop. Hastings believes everything he's told. <laughs> We the train scene later when he figures it all out is like a light bulb above his head like well, no. Ooga, Eureka yeah, like, Hastings had a thought you hear the clicking of the <laughs> clockwork and the smoke comes out of his ears he's like ha yeah but so Mrs Todd was listening in because you know she's paranoid and um, and then you find out they have a paying guest which is another sign that they are not as wealthy as they could be yes right but I want to go back to the 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 magazine that she's reading. Oh, yeah. Home and Garden. It's not Better Home and Garden. No. Better Home and Garden is the American version. Yes. Of Home and Garden. What, what, you know, guts do they have to be like, we're better homes and gardens? Yeah. Because the magazine started in 1919. It would have been extremely popular at this time. It is still going on. You can still get oh, yeah. Home and Garden's in England. But again, it's indicative of the time that Mrs. Todd is reading it because she is of the class who is allowed to care about her home, even though she doesn't do any of the work. Yep. And now I'm going to tell you, this is, this is what we mean by maniac. I looked at a decade of better home home and garden magazine covers. You're not a maniac. You know what? What? I got a whole box of them. You got a whole box of those? Of those magazines. I looked from the 1920s. They're in the next room. I looked at a <laughs> decade of covers and that uh, that issue does not appear in the third. Oh, 30s. you're a nerd. Oh I'm my god, you're dedicated. <laughs> you're so hardcore. If you know what issue of Home and Garden that is, please let me know. Home and Garden in, in that era is just jam-packed full of interregulum, rebuilding, reestablishing home. And well, the woman on the cover is actually working in her kitchen. Yes. It's, it's a time of transition. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And it would have had recipes in it that 
the wife of the house may have made or given those recipes to her cook. Yes. It would have worked for both. Yeah. But it also would have had some fashion stuff in it. Yep. And it would have had some advice stuff in it yes. and some travel stuff in it. Poirot and Hastings talk to the lodger and the husband. The lodger actually does a really good job of playing dumb here. Not just dumb. He's delighted. Yeah. He's, oh, I know exactly who you are. Yep. And you can come in my room and you got nothing on me. Nothing. He knows he's scot-free. Man, Poirot gets close to his face. Oh, man, like right up in the face. And that's where he notices. It's almost like, yep, I smell it on you. Yep. Because <laughs> he's got. See, Poirot knows then oh, that yeah. he's the dude. He knows at he least kn- that he's up to something. Yep. He knows that, that he's done something nefarious because he's got gum Arabic in his in his sideburns, which we would call spirit gum probably yep. now. So they go home, they have a sleep, and they get the mail. Oh, no, wait. You can't skip over Mr. Todd, the jerk face, not okay. offering them a drink. <laughs> Mr. Todd. Well, they're servants. He is of the same bucket as Mrs. Todd, yep. but worse. Yeah. he's Because he knows who Poirot is. Yep. He just has no time for any of this. He is so self-important yep. in his morning coat. He only gets a name Mr. Todd, though. He doesn't even get a first He should name. just be Mr. Jerk. Yep, Mr. Jerk. Their faces, when he puts the stopper back in and sets yep. the bottle back down, Hastings look like looks like he just killed a kitten. Yeah. But then, I don't know, it's kind of heavy-handed of the writers to later go, well, he didn't have to offer us, you know. Yeah. He didn't offer us a drink. Like, they didn't need We that knew line. that. You didn't need to you say it. We knew it. Line. We saw it. They get the letter the next day. Poirot is being dismissed. Yes. Did you notice that the letter from Mr. Todd is in third person? Yes. Except for the sentence in the middle? Yes. <laughs> it's it's a weird. weird letter. Again, I think it's aspiring to be kind of very upper class, well, it, referring it, to themselves in third person. But in the middle, he can't help in, but say me. Well, in the show, it comes from her and in the... No, no, no. It's from him. Okay. Because in the story, it's it's from her then. Oh. It's opposite. Because in this, it's from him. He's writing on their behalf and he's signed the one getting only check. Yes. So a guinea, if you don't know. Like Poirot was going to try to catch it for more. Yes. <laughs> Is a pound and five pence. Oh, pre-decimal money in England is just wackadoodle. I yes, don't know how they ever money. figured out By the way, what something costs. We did 20 minutes on the changeover between old and new money <sighs> on the Midsummer Mania. Never podcast. mind. They had more than one word for a denomination. Oh, like just, we call a dollar a buck maybe. Yeah. kind, But like that's it. Yep. They had slang for every denomination. So, so it's a pound and, and five pence. Yep, in 1935, if you translate that to modern money, it's about 79 pounds. Today? Yeah. Wow. 80 pounds. What a slap in the face. Poirot, see you later. 46 times, no! No. He's so mad. He's so incredibly mad. And Hastings is like, uh, I'm going to the racetrack. (laughs) If they had just written and said, we don't need your help after all, he would have been like, fine, whatever. But the fact that they paid him so little, he's like, oh no, I'm I'm finding her now. Yeah. You can't stop me. I'll use my own money. I don't care. Yep. His face, his eyes go, like, he's just like (laughs) so angry. And Hastings and Miss Lemon are like standing behind him, holding the letter going, my God, is he going to blow up? (laughs) He's really mad. What's going to happen? So he starts giving everybody jobs and 
He, he, Hastings wants to go to the racetrack and he's like, no, I have a job for you. And I, it hit me this time watching it. This is why I'm never sure in the show whether Hastings works for Poirot or not. Like, you don't know. It might be explained in the books. I, somebody can, can let us know. But yeah. in my memory, there are times when he is and times when he's not. But most often, he's just his companion. Yeah, like he's the impression, just his best friend. The impression we get is that he's just his companion and he enjoys. Yeah doing these things and he doesn't need to have a full-time job working because he's got enough money. He's got a pension. He's probably. got a pension or whatever. Yeah. Um, but he he's not getting off the hook to go do what he wants. But also we know from other episodes that Hastings comes from money because yeah. he knows people with Well, money. his pension wouldn't be enough to live on. No, no. It's not enough to buy an Italian sports car later no, no. and everything else he, he does. He definitely knows some Until he loses all of his money in his cow ranch in Brazil. Or no, we'll get there. <laughs> They go to the bank. Okay. They go to the bank. He talks to the bank manager. I'm like, okay, well, there's some Art Deco stuff in the background. It's beautiful and everything. And then they come out of the bank. And I'm going to go to Greenland here. Okay. Before you go to Greenland, can we talk about inside the bank real quick? Okay. No. Uh, inside the bank manager's office or the inside the bank? Inside the bank. Okay. Because what what I want to talk about is oh, okay. inside the bank. So they come out of the manager's office. Yeah, and they're on like that balcony. They're on that balcony. There are four lights on the floor shooting up to mm -hmm. create shadows. Yes. So the columns look imposing over them and everything. None of those lights are actually there in terms of daily use. They're not practical lights. They're, no. They, they do an, a super job to make that look beautiful. And then they draw back and flip the camera down to see another room full of extras. Yeah, the it, level below of the actual operating bank. It may be my favorite shot in all of Poirot. Wow. It's super good. There's a lot of bustle going on yeah. down there. Yep. How did banks actually operate before computers? <laughs> so this is probably before you, but I remember getting a check from my parents and having to take it to the bank with my bank book and then writing all the information in the bank book based on ledgers that they had. So you go into this bank, Yep. right? This is the, oh, what's it called? I love the name of the bank. The Belgravia and Overseas Bank. Yes. You go in and you would like to withdraw some money from your account. Yes. And they say, what is your name? And you say, Mark Bell. And they go to the back and they get the Bell, they get B the B book. B book, usually. And bring it up to the teller window and flip through it until they find your page. Yes. And see how much money you have. Yes. And then they give you some and then they note it on the page. Yes. That you've taken out 20 pounds. That's how it works. And then they put the book back. Yes. And then they come back to the window and say, oh, Mrs. Bugaboo, you're here. Let me go get the B book. I'll be right back. And they go and get it again, that, right? I've seen that exact thing And happen. so if two tellers have customers whose names begin with the same letters, one of them has to wait for the other one to be done with the book. Yes. And if that book gets lost, everything's gone. You have okay. no money anywhere. <laughs> there was so much trust implicit in that operation. Yeah. In the past. Yeah. Because I can only assume that there were times when if they knew you, if you were a regular customer of the bank, they would jot down the transaction and record it later. I know, I know for me that when I was very young, I was probably seven or eight. It might have been Star Trek. Somebody said computers are very good at one thing and that's counting, mm -hmm. which is what they are. Right. 
right? And so everything I saw where there was counting, I was like, that'll be replaced by computer. That I was that kid, by the way. <laughs> so I we're remember, shocked. We're all really surprised by that. Well, um, that you were we, that kind of when player. we got to <laughs> online banking and ATMs, I was like, duh. Yeah. <laughs> Like, but so so what's been stolen from this bank are bearer bonds. Yes. And bearer bonds are basically cash. They're like cash. Whoever bears them right. owns them. You don't, they don't, they're not like a check. They're not made out to a person. No. Whoever holds them, physically holds them, yeah. can cash them for 90, money. 90,000, which listen. it is an incredible amount of money. Yep. Absolutely. Like big, big, big money. Then. We get to see Jap. Jap, yes. Jap, Jap, Jap. He looks so young. He does. I love Jap so much. And I but, always forget that in the early episodes, they don't get along. That they they're, that they kind of compete they more compete. than later. It's not that they don't get along. But it's, later, they're like buddies. And Jap is fine with Paro helping and turns yeah. to him for help. But early on. It's kind of. They're confrontational. They compete because, well, because Paro is a PI and he's stepping on Jap's turf, right? I really want that Reuters ticker tape machine <laughs> really bad. That Paro pretends to look yes, at. Yes, Paro pretends to look like. So there's another version of the adventure of the Clapham Cook. Oh. That is a Japanese anime oh. version. And it, this is important at this point. Um, it's called Agatha Christie's Great Detectives Poirot and Marple. Okay. And the way they present it there, they call it the disappearing cook. Okay. And Poirot solves the mystery with the help of Miss Marple's niece. Oh. But in that series, the anime series, Jap's name is changed to Inspector Sharp. Oh. And I'm sure you can imagine why. Yes. Because in Japan. Maybe Jap's not the best Not word. the best name. Yeah. It's kind of a slur. Yeah. So he's sharp. It's kind of... Not as, like, it, it is a slur. <laughs> but it's got two yeah. P's. Yeah, it's two P's. I don't think Christy meant anything by no, it. No, 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 no. Right? But no. they had to change his name. No. And I completely understand why. Yes. Like, that That makes perfect sense. I just thought that was interesting. Another thing on names, real quickly, Annie. Agatha Christie had something about that name. Okay. Because Annie is used for a maid in The Mysterious Affair at Styles. The Murder of Roger Ackroyd, Dumb Witness, and The Adventure of the Clapham Cook, and The Underdog. In five different stories, there is a maid called Annie. Wow. Now, did you look... Okay, this is the nerds we are. We have a Agatha Christie, like, encyclopedia that lists every yes. character. In no, no. I Oh, I'm a bad person. I found this incredible fact in a, a thesis called Making the Sausage. Okay. The Naming of Characters in Agatha Christie's... Novels and short stories. Oh. And I should have noted the name of the author. I'll put it in the show um, notes. If it tells you anything, it was a PDF scan of a typewritten thesis. Ooh, wow. But I just found that really interesting. Yeah, like now I kind of want to look to see if she ever had a maid named Annie and maybe that's why. Maybe. Like she just was like paying homage to, to a maid or something. But mm. yeah, lots of Annie's are maids in Agatha Christie. Okay. Poirot's got a letter. Simpson says to Jap that Davis, the banker who is being accused of stealing the money, yes. has never been abroad. Yes. And I have a problem with that. Okay. Because if Simpson is 28, yep. like they estimate him to be, though he's not really the actor, is like, you know, 40 something. Yeah. 
But if he's actually in his late 20s in 1935, he would have been 16 when World War One broke out. Oh, so he probably... And he would have been old enough to go to, to the later years of World War One. And so I can only assume that Davis would have been two. Yeah. So they definitely would have been abroad at some point. I think so. So, I mean, he's lying, Instead obviously. of broad stairs. And when we see Davis, he's got grayer hair. Yeah. So he's probably older. Yeah. So he's definitely so. been abroad. Yeah. Anyway, you know where broad stairs is? Yeah, it's on the um, East Coast. Yeah. Yep, I looked it up. They get a letter from the cook. Yes, because she's seen the classified ad. Yep. And then she, they, <laughs> Poirot has to go in the country. Oh, yes. No. He the horror the co- of he, the country. He hates the country. Oh my gosh, I love that whole part. It is a desert, a wasteland. You only have to think they get off the train and then they just have to walk through the countryside to get there. Like there's no road. I'm at first. I'm like, why didn't they call? Yeah, she wouldn't have had a phone. No, I don't think she, she would have. Had a phone. Not where she is. They're a little furry thing. And all of the extras, <laughs> the ramblers in their shorts. Oh my gosh, they're fantastic. Mom, mom, I got a part. I'm a hiker on a Poirot. Yeah. <laughs> And then the guy keeping the sheep who yeah. has to make them walk across in yeah. front of Hastings and Poirot. I love where he goes, the good air of the town. Yes. <laughs> I miss the good air of the town. How long would it take them on the train to get from London to, to Keswick in the Lake District? Three hours. Four and a half hours. It's quite a, quite a thing. Yeah, that's a train journey. Yep, yep. And that would have cost him a little bit. And she tells them a story about Mr. Cratchit. I have a problem with this story. Okay. She was the cook in that house. Yep. Where Simpson was a paying guest. Yes. He would have eaten in their dining room with them. Yes. That's part of being a paying guest. Yes. And she would have served. Yes. Not Annie. Yep. She would have served. She would have known his face. And I don't care if he puts on a fake beard and curls his hair, which he clearly curled his hair. Yeah. How did he what even was do up that? with the curling? She's sitting right across the table from him. She would have recognized him. She would him. have said, oh, don't I know you from somewhere? Yeah. And it's a really bad Australian accent. Yeah, it is. But like, he's not changed his appearance so profoundly. Like his hair is still the same color. No. And She's not stupid. He's kind of crocodiling Dundee in it. It's like, oi, I put the legacy on the Bobby. <laughs> like, yeah, it's really bad. Yeah. But I feel so bad for her when he says the only thing is you can't be in domestic service. Oh, her eyes well up. She. Oh, well, just, and then he has to like hint like three times about the solution to it. She's not getting it. She's a really good actress. That's yeah. that's Frida Dowie. Yeah. She was in A Midsummer. She was in The Animal Within. Um, she's just a really good actress. And I really, she does a great job of portraying a character who is in service. Yep. But who has dreams. Yes. When they come to her house. She's so happy. She's so excited to let them in. And she doesn't like snap at him when he says, I'm sure your mistress won't mind if you let us in. She doesn't go like, I don't have a mistress. He's just like, she's still like, I don't have one. She's giggling to herself because of her, her fortune. And I, I feel so bad that off screen, she's finding out that that place is just rented and it's not hers. Yeah. And she probably has to give all the money back that he gave her. Yeah. And ask for her job back. Yep. And you think Mrs. Todd's not going to lord that over her? I hope Mrs. Todd Call her stupid for falling for it and everything else. And Annie's going to be like, how were the white slavers? (laughs) 
Were they nice to you? Did they give you stewed peaches? 127 Wentworth Road in, they say, Melbourne. Mm. There's no address of that (laughs) in Melbourne. Of course you looked. But there is in Sydney. Oh, so it's quasi true. Yeah. Uh, That house in Sydney... I don't know what's going on with the Sydney housing prices. If you live in Sydney, could you please explain to us? $1.86 million Australian dollars for that house. Mm -hmm. It is two bedrooms, maybe. Wow. Maybe. What's the currency exchange like with the Australian Uh, dollar? It would be $1.3 million. Wow. Yeah. I don't know what's going on with the housing market in uh, Australia. Like, Is it on the beach or something? No, 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 no. Way far away from the beach. Shazam. Yeah. The Salvation Army oh, makes what reference. What is up with those two Salvation Army people? They make reference to Psalm 118, verse 22. He's talking about the stone and the brick and the stone. The and- stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. What does that mean? I don't know. I didn't read the rest of the psalm. What the heck are they doing in the restaurant begging for money? Uh that would not fly it's now. All over the place. You yeah. don't you don't collect for charity inside somebody's business. No. Going table to table with your little box shaking it. So Those two are up to something. So Poirot Poirot <laughs> figures it I'm out. I'm suspicious of the Salvation Army people. He tries to phone uh Simpson, not Davis, tell Jap in front of the big sign that says Carlisle. Yeah, okay, guess what station they're at. <laughs> yeah, lots of air, lots of smoke. You there. talk about lighting in the bank. The lighting in the train is yeah. amazing. Yeah. Poirot is sitting there, leaned back against the seat. The little gray cells are working. He has his boutonniere on from the Countess. I noticed that He there. always has that on. Yeah. The little silver vase yeah. with we'll, lavender flowers yeah. in it. And we'll always. see we'll see why he gets Where that. Where he gets that later. Uh, yeah. Um, but he is like a Buddha sitting there. Yes. And absolutely. Hastings is across from him, like I just I, my brain just doesn't compute i don't know what's going on <laughs> so they show up at the house in clapham mm. and there's cops everywhere yeah <laughs> mrs todd is so angry she's so angry there's cops in my house her lower class self lets yep. her lean out the window yep. and scold him yep. which she would not do if she was oh, thinking no. about the neighbors no no <laughs> And of course, they don't find anything because nope. he's long gone. He's long gone. And he's sent the trunk to Glasgow. Yes. And we find that out by a little gift that is Danny Webb. Tits in a tree. Wow. Mr. Sarcastic Luggage Porter. He may be the smartest person in the episode and he gives Boirot bad information. <laughs> I love that they're like, and did you do that? And he's like, no, they just pay me big bucks to stand around and not do what they ask me to do. Like, (laughs) so, such good writing. That character in the story just gives up the information. Just, that's it. Danny Webb just was like, I'm going to change this. I'm sure they had him on set and they're like, this guy's too good to just waste on one line. Did you see the cops searching the, the station? Yeah. They're like... Oh, is it this bag? Is it this wicker box? You're is it supposed this, to look for a, a cave. A big black a, trunk, tin yeah. trunk. Is it this basket of pigeons? Is that <laughs> it? But in the scene with Danny Webb with the porter, yeah. Poirot practically has to hold Hastings back. 
<laughs> like, wait, he's wait, wait. gonna so beat him up. I know. He's like, I'm gonna get a little sarcastic jerk face. He's gonna smack him. He's like, got his little teapot and he's yep. just drinking his tea. <laughs> he's totally a punk. That's oh, yeah. what he is. He's yes. totally a punk. I love that he gets to work behind a window that has a little bell that you ring. Like, yep. you know, he totally ignores everybody all the time until yep. that bell rings. And he's yep. like, oh, I got to put my hat on. Got to yep. pay attention. I love that he has, he has a hat that says Porter and his character is named, is not named. It's just Porter. Mm-hmm. I was like, I wonder how many characters have had clothes on that have their name on Their it. character name on it. <laughs> <laughs> but he says that... When, when um, Simpson, well, he doesn't know that it's Simpson, but when he came to um, claim the trunk, he had it forwarded onto Glasgow and he paid him yep. and he had a huge wad of cash, yep. some of which was from Bolivia. Yeah. That's the wrong clue, yep. right? Because they're actually boulevards from Venezuela. Mostly because it's Bolivia. Yeah. <laughs> I love how he delivers that line. <laughs> He's this episode, like so many Poirots, is just full of little gem scenes. Yeah, he's absolutely fantastic. Bolivia is a landlocked country, Hastings. <laughs> there are no boats to Bolivia. There are no boats to Bolivia. <laughs> it's like catching a steamer to Ohio. Yeah, <laughs> like you just can't do it. <laughs> so they go to find the boat to Caracas, mm-hmm. but it's discontinued. Yes. The service to Portugal, Madeira, and Buenos Aires, which I think is weird because Portugal is a country. Yeah. And Madeira and Buenos Aires are cities. Yes. But it's been discontinued. Now, yep. do you have any theories of so why? It's 1935 in November. I'm assuming there's some political upheaval. Potentially. Yes. So just to kind of situate us, right? In 1933, Hitler became the leader of Germany and established his party. And in 1935, the Germans declared that people with any amount of Jewish blood could not vote, could not be citizens, could not own businesses. Yeah. And that was in November of 1935. But they, it, it is just on the precipice of Mussolini starting to get really obnoxious mm-hmm. in Italy. Like a, a year later, he coins the term Axis. Yeah. In November of 36. Yeah. So in 35, I think, and again, if somebody knows better, please tell us. But I think because Italy is in turmoil and already aligning with Germany, that maybe sailing to Portugal might be a little is dangerous. not necessarily safe. Yeah. Right? Because you gotta go kind of through yeah, you gotta go around I can Italy. See that. Yeah. And maybe, maybe it could be a completely could other be reason. A plot point. It could be nothing else. Yeah. But um it it seems like kind of the wrong direction to like why would you go to Portugal and then Buenos Aires? Yeah. More direct route, maybe? Yeah. I don't know. I would think so. But the talk about extras, the boat that's there, the big yeah. ship that's there that we can hardly see because it's night, right? Yep. You really only see the lights. It has extras that are dressed up on it, but it's not going. <laughs> no, the extras are on the dock waving like flags and noisemakers yeah. at the at the ship because it's leaving but it's dark like who's gonna see them like cheering for the boat to leave like yay so they have a good trip whatever they realize they're on the wrong they have the wrong boat and it's Bolivar, which is the venezuelan currency not Bolivar, bolivia and poirot kind of runs kind of 
He shuffles fast. He shuffles fast. You have to remember, his shoes are always too tight. Yep. That's a Poirot thing. And he sees Simpson, yells at him, and Poir- and Jap does a fantastic thing of, stop that man. Why do the sailors stop him? They don't know who Jap is. They don't know who Jap is. But He's not like, I'm a policeman. Stop that man. But that's, I guess Jap's just internationally known. That's British murder <laughs> mystery TV. Stop, stop or, or I'll say stop, stop again. again. Yes. Poirot frames the check. Yes. Which is just mwah, perfect yep. Poirot thing to do. What I'm going to say to wrap this up is this is a perfect introduction to all the main players mm-hmm. without saying... This is Miss Lemon. She's this person. This is Hastings. It's not heavy-handed at all. It's so well-written. And it's not the first Poirot story um, in the order that uh, Christie wrote them. So it's not like it just happens to be there in the story. No, when you read the short story, you're expected to know who Poirot is. Oh, my God. The short stories are like a blast in the face. Yeah. It's like, plot! And if you don't know who somebody is, too bad. And a lot of times, like... Tri- uh, Triangle of Roads, there's a lot of um, dramatizing that goes on in that story when it's actually like like Poirot figures it out and says everything at the end mm-hmm. without like seeing it. Like he's not anywhere near them. Yeah. Like, the the screenplays are written very well to show us a yes. lot that well it's different TV that is different in than the writing yeah. we we know because we're in somebody's head or you know there's other little clues that are given um, but the the screenplays are very helpful to us we get to as in some of the writing we get to kind of be the dummy like Hastings and sort of get the clues and put them together Agatha Christie was a strong believer in the rules yep. That Absolutely. the reader or the viewer has to have all the information that the detective has. We have to have an equal chance of solving it as he does or she does. And they stayed true to that in the screenplays yep. for these episodes. They did a really good job of maintaining that. Absolutely. I love his little egg-shaped head. Oh, I just want to pinch his little cheeks. So fantastic. When I see David Suchet playing Poirot, I just want to give him a hug and go, yep. you're one of my favorite people. Yes, Absolutely. <laughs> Once we've finished an episode, one of the things we do, we talk about a couple of things. If there's more than one body, we do favorite corpse. Favorite corpse. Best corpse. Uh, But we only have one corpse here, and he does a pretty good job of being a dead body. Wow, Davis is bendy. Yeah, he's the guy who plays Davis. He fits in that trunk. He fits in that trunk. I'm impressed. No breathing, no eye twitch, no nothing. We watch this pretty We don't get to see him for very long, but he does fit in the trunk and it doesn't look comfortable. So I'll give him best corpse, no problem. But uh, other episodes where there are multiple courses, we will be dissecting them. Yes. Their performances. And the other thing we always do is after the credits, what happens after the crime is solved? Yes. So, so do you we, think Eliza's going to go back and work for the Todds? I, th- I think she's going to try to, but Mrs. Todd's going to make her life crappy. Maybe, or yeah, maybe not. Maybe. You know, maybe she'll actually have a little bit of sympathy. They Annie will a, certainly be happy to see her if she does. Watcher. <laughs> I think Mrs. Todd's going to be a little bit more picky about the new one. Yes. <laughs> I think the porter's probably going to go out on Friday night and have a pint with his friends. You think? Yeah. I yeah. Think so he may try to uh, talk up the barmaid also. <laughs> and probably claim that he gave Poirot the information he needed to solve that yeah, crime. I, I helped solve that crime. I, t- I told him who did it. Yep. Yeah. They were there and I solved it for them. Yeah. I'm sure that's going to be the version that he tells. Yes, absolutely. One of the 
other things we do is these actors are busy people. Oh, yeah. Well, there's in, only 12 actors in the UK, so they're all in everything They're in all the time. lots of different things. And we have a segment of the show in which we talk about horrible movies that they've been in and see if I have seen them because you're, I've seen... Yeah, I was going to say, you're missing the, the big point here in that Mark is a connoisseur of horrible movies. I've seen many, many horrible movies. Be grateful you do not share a Netflix (laughs) queue with this man because you will get recommendations for things like Robogeisha. Yes. (laughs) Or some worse than Hammer Horror movie (laughs) because he will mess up your queue by watching horrible movies. And because he's seen so many and has a very good memory for them, if there is a horrible movie in the history of an actor who is in the episode of whatever we're talking about, I quiz him to see if he recognizes it. Are you ready for this week's horrible movie? For this week's horrible movie. Okay. This is a 1996 movie. Okay. Now, the whole the whole game here is that he's going to try to name the movie I'm yep. describing. Okay, 96. Okay. David Suchet is in this. Okay, David Suchet is in it. Okay. Here's the summary. When terrorists seize control of an airliner, that never happened in a movie oh my in, gosh, I've seen the, this in the movie. 90s. Yep. An intelligence analyst accompanies a commando unit for a mid-air boarding operation. Okay, so this is not... There are so many movies about terrorists on planes yeah, in the 80s and yeah, 90s. Yeah, this is, this is not the Harrison Ford get-off-my-plane no. movie. Because the bad guy in that movie is uh, not David Suchet. I've seen this movie. I've seen this movie. Would you like a hint? Yes. Uh, it stars Kurt Russell. Is Impact in the name? No. No? No. And Steven Seagal. Oh, wow. And David Suchet is the lead terrorist. Wow. David <laughs> Steven Seagal, who showed up in Russia this week. Um, I don't know. I don't know the name of it. I've seen it, but I don't know the name of it. It's called Executive Decision. Executive Decision. 1996. Wow. And I will say that this movie on IMDb has um, uh, a title yes. for something that has more of something than any other movie I could find. Okay. You know that goofs page? Yeah. It has more goofs than anything I have ever wow. seen. Wow. So these are mistakes the filmmakers made. Mistakes in geography, characters, continuity, crew or equipment visible. Factual errors, plot holes, <laughs> revealing mistakes, and anachronisms. Wow. There are subcategories for the goofs. Do you want to guess how many there are? I counted them. 37. 86. Wow. David Suchet got that check and cashed it. Remember, he was also in Harry and the Hendersons. Yeah, he was in Harry and the Hendersons. I know that. Which was in 87. Yes. It was two years before this. Yeah. So he plays that. French mercenary trying to kill Bigfoot in 87. And then two years later, he's Poirot. Yeah. Wow. That's, yeah. And this movie is after he's already been playing Poirot. Because this yes. is 96. Wow. I don't recommend it. No. Executive decision. Executive decision. Yeah, there you go. I definitely have saw that. I don't think I saw it in the, in the theater. I think we we rented it. That's one point for me, by the way. That is. If we're starting the scorebook over one again for Mystery for Maniacs, it's one for me. Thank you very much for listening. This has been Mystery Maniacs, episode one. We hope you like it. And if you have any um, suggestions or whatever, just yep. drop us a line. We love hearing yep. from you. All right. Until next time. Bye, Maniacs. Bye, Maniacs. 
Thanks for joining us on the Mystery Maniacs podcast. If you enjoyed our crazy podcast today, don't miss out on future episodes. Follow us on social media for updates, behind-the-scenes content, and exclusive sneak peeks. Subscribe, like, and share to spread the word. Bye, Maniacs.